Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. Secure Talk is brought to you by AdaQuest, your cybersecurity and compliance partner. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we have Jonathan Moore, who is the CTO of Spider Oak, joining us. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Um, I'm uh, down in northern Arizona, and uh, it actually got in the in the 80s, down to the 80s, which normally sounds hot, but um, we've been all up on the west coast, up in the in the hundreds, and uh, recently, where whereabouts you at? I am in Portland, Oregon, so I have experienced that and firsthand. It yeah, was, well, uh, so pretty... it was just like a, a week ago. We had um, in Seattle, it was close to 110. Did you have the similar similar? Temps down we were, I think, up to 116. Like wow. it was pretty brutal when it was like a light breeze and 113, and it didn't <laughs> cool you down. It just baked you. It was like you're in a convection oven. Yeah, exactly. I think they call that the heat dome. Hopefully, it doesn't come back anytime soon. It was it was amazing though. I mean, we'll get into into the cybersecurity here in a second, but it was amazing that. Uh, I think you know two days later it was in the 80s and it almost felt cold it was just like because it's a you know 30 degree drop yeah. right yeah i would say it's it's down to the 70s here right oh wow that's that's very nice so hey um i gotta ask you i mean i saw a quote from you i believe it was from you that said that we are failing at security at all levels that sounds pretty dire <laughs> so I, I think it is Okay. Right. I mean, I think that we have systematic issues with security at every level. And I mean, every level from the manufacturers, the purchasers of technology, to the incentives for the purchase of technology, to the application developers, I guess that's the manufacturers, and to law enforcement, to government. You know, it's we, we've finally in the last, you know, this year been starting to make some movements to the government. But, you know, uh, you know, the, the, North Korea hacked globally a lot of security researchers, but a couple of them here on the West Coast. Uh, they 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 had a Chrome zero day that they used to go hack other researchers who had more zero days. They were trying to like bootstrap one zero day into a handful of them. And so we had state actors hacking private individuals in the US that had like arguably, you know, ex exploitable technology for military purposes. And our national response, as far as anybody I know could see, was a Twitter thread of researchers being say like, oh, hey, were you talking to this guy? What happened to you? And like, that was our response. And the people in this, as I understand, the government never reached out to them being like, hey, so you were hacked by North Korea. Everything all right? Right? That wasn't, wow. we didn't have that, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't have federal policies which push us towards security. You know, we're there. We're starting. It's maybe there's a few things coming out better if we had, if we actually get a meaningful like security labeling thing on on software products. That would be great. Like, but that's not here yet, and it should have existed years ago. And then, like, go on. No, well, I, so I was, I was just going to ask. Um, I mean, you know, we do have government agencies that are responsible for cybersecurity, um, but what you're advocating is a kind of more heavy-handed approach or more structured approach. Well, I think we need a different approach. Okay. I mean, but even on that, we have national level uh, response, but we still treat cybersecurity incidents when they happen as if they happened at a location, right? If I, if 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 your company in Seattle is breached, 
then you're going to you're going to talk to the Seattle Bureau of the FBI. And now right. maybe those actors were in China, and that Seattle Bureau of the FBI had zero tools to help you. And maybe that was the your breach actually was part of another breach that also happened in Virginia at the same time, and those were connected. But you're still largely going to end up with local law enforcement responses. And the local law enforcement, and certainly as a private citizen, you get to go to the police. What are they going to do? Right. right. You know, we we need a, we need to realize that cyber incidences don't happen at geographies, right. and that we need a national level response to them. And so that's that's so I think there's a lot of things like that. Right. We need to incentivize the purchase of high assurance cyber controls. You know, and we need to potentially even, uh, you know, have disincentives for maintaining old systems which are insecure on networks. Like, we really need to get to a point where the software we run is safer its users than the networks it operates on. And we do you, don't have incentives in place to do that. I mean, you know, part of the penalty me mechanism or the stick mechanism for, uh, you know, regulations like GDPR is that you know as any organization that is handling um, certain types of data has to maintain uh, a certain level of security. And for example, if you don't have um, a patch policy or if you're not uh, you know implementing that, you could be you could be fined. If there's a breach and it shows that you know you were negligent negligent and um, exposed you your your organization to the breach, you weren't following best practices, um, then that could increase the the um, chances of, of receiving a fine. Would something like that help? It might. I mean, I don't think, although I really respect some of what GDPR was trying to achieve, I don't think that can be held up as a useful law. Like, it's got a bunch of problems, right? Like, okay. as a non-European software development company, there's basically no way for us to comply with GDPR. Uh, that we believe will have any longevity, right? There's all sorts of things you can do, but but anyway, but I but I but I think you're right. Like so, having saying, are are you even reaching the bar of best practices? And and where does negligence happen? And I I think though it's 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 still more complicated than that. I don't. I think. I think what we probably should focus on right now more is our software supply chains and the quality of the cyber control we're providing rather than the end businesses because really this is you know it's sure you should have some good practices right okay but those are not the core of our problem like the core of our problem is the industry you know the core of our problem is that we are not providing companies technologies that they could use safely Okay. Right. And well, we've been doing this forever. So, you know? so, so, okay. So you, you're, you're advocating that we focus on the software supply chain. Um, you know, I see research that says, you know, most breaches are caused by, uh, you know, some type of business email compromise. Uh, somebody clicks on something they shouldn't. Um, so, so, well, well, I think, talk let, about let, talk let, about let, talk about what you see in terms of the the, the vulnerabilities caused by um, the software supply chain. Well, I, I don't think I mean I don't mean the software supply chain like in terms of um, like the NoPeta attack or the um, CC Cleaner or the 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 more recent ones with Solar Winds. What I mean is the what we're producing. I think what you said there itself was actually really key. Somebody clicked on something they should have, 
we shouldn't be shipping systems to people where clicking on a link, which is a intended behavior of the software, leads to a security breach. Right? We, that's what I mean, meant by we are not giving people software that they can use safely. If I have to like somehow guess whether I am allowed to use an a intentional functionality of the software, uh, I have to guess whether that's going to compromise security or not. That seems like the industry's failing. Wow. I, it, you, you, and you know, um, I would agree with you because sometimes it's really easy to spot these phishing emails and sometimes it's not so easy. And if you're in a hurry and you are not in the industry and for whatever reason, you know, you're yeah. going to click once in a while. Fishing, you're right. If it's spear yeah. phishing, you're going to lose. Yeah. If it's a watering hole attack, what, well, how are you supposed to put down against that, right? This is a site that you use every day and somebody's compromised that site and you lose, right? It's, and I think that there's, it's, you know, fundamentally, you know, we're still writing software the same way we have, we started writing software in the sixties or seventies, and we haven't really made a change uh, mm -hmm. at scale. I mean, there's certainly people doing it um, to move away from that approach. Right. And even and and where we are moving away in some narrow areas, like if you look at like people who invested a lot in security, like say the Chrome team, right? They're they're sort of realizing that they need to just not have bugs because mitigations aren't working. Right. They they're important. Sandboxing is important. Mitigations are important. They they raise the bar a bit. Um, and sandboxing in particular, I think, is pretty valuable. But uh the, in the end, we need there to not be bugs that are exploitable. I mean, bugs are the way, are the first, you know, bugs are the currency of exploitation, right? I mean, not all of it, it's true. I mean, well, I guess it depends how you want to look at it, right? You could say that it's a bug that I can download a Trojan and run it on my computer, right? Right. You know, like I think the Fin7 group, you know, which was a very successful, um, you know, advocate, you know, financial crime crime group, right? They their entire operational plan was get the person to download the malware. They didn't use any zero days or or exploits. They exploited the weaknesses inherent in the architecture of the operating system, not any bugs, uh, and and in people, right? They would yep. spend a lot of time working with people and getting them to to download the thing and do it. And you know. You just got, you know, spear phishing is hard technique. And you, look, you've just got to make it clear you, to the per, in the person's mind that if they don't take the action you want to, that it is going to harm their chances of completing their duties at their job, and they're absolutely going to do it, right? That's the thing about any security control we put in place, which gets in the way of doing some of these jobs, they're going to go around that control, right? We tell people you're going to get fired if you don't do this. Certainly, they're going to, you know, if, if you don't deliver the report, you're fired. Right. Of course, you're <laughs> going to do whatever it takes to deliver the report. Of course. Um, so, so you know, as companies um, are increasingly moving to the cloud, uh, and we're kind of by some, you know, in many instances, outsourcing a lot of our security uh, work to the cloud providers. You know, Azure, uh, Google, uh, AWS. What what vulnerabilities do you see, or what problems do you see with that? Well, I mean, I think it's it's a it's a positive and negative there, right? So if you're a small organization that can't afford a, a SOC, right, you're doing much better by going to them in many ways, right? Because they have one and they have great security teams 
and they're doing a great job of keeping adversaries out of their infrastructure in terms of outside of the intended controls. The, the downside, of course, is that you are depending on this other party and that if, you know, anybody internally gets breached, you know, that's going to be a problem, right? I mean, the, the going way back, the, I think it was called it the November rain attack breach, which was uh, China breaching Google to read dissident emails. Mm-hmm. Um, that breach, and I, I don't have any inside knowledge of this, um, but I pay attention. And, you know, that pretty clearly seemed like what that actually was is a breach of their lawful intercept interface on Gmail and not actually a breach of Google. So that somebody used credentials to gain access to the lawful intercept interface and just use that to read whatever they wanted. And so you created by going to that point is you created a sort of very high value target for the adversary. Um that made it worth their time to get the breach to happen. And that breach, again, it doesn't even have to be that you had a bug in your security. It can be people as well. And I think also the complexity of those systems is high. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of security controls in AWS, you know, and it can be very hard to configure and use them correctly. And I think that that sort of it's so it's not, I think, cloud per se, which is dangerous. I mean, it, it has risks, um, but you, you're trusting a lot more people when you go to a cloud thing. And then it's a, a common problem across all levels, but is because of the flexibility of cloud and how much it's grown and, and how well it's sort of starting to, to fit into enterprise needs, meaning adding more and more options. Um, you know, the, the complexity of our security is so high, it's not easy to use safely. And I think, in many day ideas, just the, the, I mean, from, from my perspective, we really need to make a, a shift that doesn't, uh, not in, that, that allows cloud to be even safer, which is to move away from network-based controls, to database controls. And that is really a move to cryptography from, uh, you know, application or network level controls, right? So end to end is an example of this, right? When I send a message on signal, right? Uh, you know, that message, is encrypted on my device and is not decrypted and not able to be decrypted until it receives the intended recipient devices. And so we're able to use cryptography here to put the controls around the data itself instead of putting at the network. And even zero knowledge, or, or not zero, zero trust networking um, or zero trust security is just moving the network perimeter around the application instead of the organization. And it's it's that's a great move, and I encourage people to do it. It has a lot of benefits, but in the end, you've still got that whole application running on the server that you have to trust, and that's another high-value target and more attack surface. If you move that security all the way to the edges, that problem goes away. So I think that the there's value in cloud, but in centralized security models, there's a lot of risk. Well. Doesn't Spider Oak, I mean, part of the services that you provide um, relate to protecting data, right? Yeah, we do exactly that same thing as Signal does. Uh, and I use Signal because it's a more an example that more people understand. But we do that, but solve a big problem that this the existing end-to-end uh, market doesn't solve, which is how do you actually do policy and controls in that environment 
in a way that works for businesses. Like if you're using, you know, by policy or, you know, in just in practice, um, a tool like Signal to provide, to, to do your secure mobile comms and you're, you have an employee who exits and they're in five Signal groups, what do you want to bet a year later they're still going to be in three? Because it doesn't have any management tools for that, which is why I think what we're doing is taking that same concept and then adding a decentralized authority model on top of it so that you can have, you can exit that, that person from all of the groups and teams they're in, in a single go and allow user management and, and onboarding. And so we're really focused on how do we take these great concepts of end-to-end -end or data-oriented security and uh, make it applicable for business. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that we do um, is a, a variety of network scans uh, to to evaluate uh, potential security risks. But we also look at uh, total cost of ownership, and you know, you can see how many servers you have, and you know how 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 fully optimized they are, et cetera. And every time that we do this, uh, let's just say that it's a thousand seat organization, we will find. Uh, Anywhere from five to seven, up to ten percent of the credentials are for um, that are still "quote unquote" active uh, for are for people who've left the organization. Uh, you know, sometimes they've been gone for as long as three to four, five years, right? And it's yeah. just there's a there's a huge gap there. Um, and if you can, you know, obviously there are tools out there that solve it. And then if you're if you're talking about solving it in end to end way, that's that's pretty cool and pretty necessary, I guess. Um, so maybe could you walk me through a or walk us through a fuller scenario of you know some of the the services you provide with with you know your customers? So like, hey, we help this organization do ABC. Yeah, well, I mean, I I, I don't I'm not going to talk about specific organizations. Yeah, no, I'm not asking you to give any names. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the kind of things that that we do. So we actually, you know, we 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 have a a, a actually fairly long standing. Um, products that's been around the market for 13 or 15 years, which offers uh, backup, right? We have an enterprise consumer and SMB product. Um, and that product, uh, the value of that product is that the data is all encrypted at the endpoints before they send it to us. But we do it in a way that we can still sort of efficiently sync just the files you need if you want to recover them or the entire file system. But the key is that, or no pun intended, the, the important point is that we don't hold the keys to decrypt that content. So we don't have to worry. Sorry, that was my cat. We don't have to worry about a breach um, of our organization, you know, personnel or, you know, technical leading to a breach of our users' data uh, that they've, they've entrusted with us. But what, what, What's great, that's great about that product, but what it doesn't do is collaboration. And so this, what we're really selling these days more now is our um, collaboration products. And, and we offer this both as sort of a, a platform that we can produce custom solutions for as a service, and we have some customers we're doing that for, and as well as a turnkey solution for collaboration. And so the, the turnkey solution does chat, and file sharing, so you can kind of think of it as, well, what if, you know, WhatsApp or Signal or one of these end-to-end -end chat apps added Slack-like features and Dropbox-like features 
to kind of brought that all in one experience, but kept everything end to end and then added that sort of group level control. So we have concepts of teams and groups and admins and team admins and policy and all that kind of stuff. So where people are finding that really valuable is that many organizations start with their security by putting a physical perimeter around their network. They put a fence, they put a building with walls and locked doors, and they start the security there. And then they're asked, look, well, now you've got to go operate out in the field. So how do you do that? You know, how do you secure those devices when your first step is secure the perimeter? And so some people opt to try and do VPNs, but that often ends up being a not very flexible solution. Or what if you need to operate in a geographic region where you can't trust the provider, network providers? You know, and so that's another area that that people are finding compelling. And then additionally, you know, when you adopt us, if you're a small organization, again, like it's great, you can use a cloud solution and just trust the cloud, but you can adopt us in that same level and not have to trust the cloud either. So we, and a big part of our goal too, is enabling users sort of to, to empower the users with the data in the place they wanna use it. So you don't create that friction that causes people to go around the security controls your organization has put in place. So we're trying to like, serve a couple of needs here. We're trying to serve for people that have decided they need it, need end-to-end -end, uh, cryptographic security, provide them the controls that they need. We're trying to provide people who uh, want to go even further and say, we need that security because we don't trust the infrastructure. And we're also trying to help on the side of, hey, I, I just want to enable my users to get things done um, and give them flexibility, but still maintain sort of an administrative level positive control over the data even if I don't fully control the devices that they're on, they're using the data on. Does that answer your question? It's kind of no, absolutely, absolutely, and and I think that uh, it to it totally makes sense. Uh, it, it's a very attractive solution. Uh, my only reluctance would be that it, because you basically you're 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 replicating the functionality of a lot of you know very strong players in the market like Teams, like Slack, etc. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, and so I. I and so I can see that would be a challenge because people are like, oh, do, do, do we want to adopt yet another tool, right? And then, yep. you know, but it, it depends on, you know, what is, if the priority is on security. Of course, those tools have some some level of security built in there. Um, but, you know, if you really want that end-to-end, -end, um, this sounds like the, the great way to go. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you adopt, I mean, like those are all great tools, right? And, and we we do not claim to stand toe-to-toe -to, -toe to them on features, right? But there are a lot of environments where those tools, people are choosing to adopt other tools. Why are people doing business on WhatsApp, right? Why are people doing business on Signal? They've made a choice to do business with another tool that offers a different security posture. And right. we, we see those people and say, let us help you get to the point, let, let us help you by giving you that same security posture for providing you the business controls that you actually need because there, there's gaps in the controls those provide. They provide some controls very strongly and others just don't even exist in the product because they're not actually made for businesses. They're made for consumers. They're right. great products. You know, I use Signal all the time to talk to my family. That's the, the app that, that I talk to with my child going to college, with my parents, uh, you know, and with, with most of my friends, but it's not a tool that's great for our, uh, our company and we don't use it at our company 
as an official tool or in much scope at all. No, it totally makes sense. Hey, let me ask you, let's change change the, the, the conversation a bit here. Um, I mean, because you know, you, you know a lot about security, you know a lot about the different vulnerabilities out there. Um, let's say you have a friend, they're not in the security business at all. Just, uh, you know, some somebody that you, you, you grew up with, you're having a cup of coffee, and he says, I'm concerned about my personal data, what should I do? What, what are the first couple things that um, any individual should be doing? Well, um, I mean, I guess I, I would probably ask them what data they're concerned about, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and I would I would probably honestly tell them the first thing they should do is be using cloud native stuff because the most likely way they're going to lose their data is dropping their laptop, you know, in the river, right? Or bathtub or whatever, right? It's data availability is actually probably their highest risk. But I think, you know, after that, be really careful about what applications you install, right? And, you know, if you care about your privacy, you know, communicate with end-to-end -end secure apps. You know, I think for, for an individual and their, their family, I think Signal is an often approach. If you have an organization that needs to get stuff done, I think we offer a really compelling solution for that. Um, but, you know, use unique passwords, just this, the same basic the, the, all the basic things people say, right? Don't reuse passwords, patch, yada, yada, right? But I think beyond that, I would say, you know, be careful what you install. Like mm -hmm. so much of this, you know, random software you install is actually out to get you. Can, can you give an example? Um, I don't know. There's, you know, all sorts of like adware um, that's out to get you. And, you know, then in the end, also there's, all of these random apps that keep popping up in app stores that turn out to be credential stealing apps that if you download are Trojan to steal your banking credentials, you know, I mean, right now as an individual, the, you know, criminals aren't really after your data. They're after your, you know, money. And so they might try and ransomware you. They might try and steal your banking credentials, probably both at the same time. They might just try and steal your credentials to try and do a, um, scam you know one of these like help i'm stuck at a foreign airport and need 500 dollars right now scams right. that are popular through facebook yep um you know those are the kind of risks you really face as an individual uh, and you, losing your data do you still worry about apps if if, if you get it from a, a reputable source for example the you know the apple app store would you would you still be cautious yeah i mean i go through and regularly remove apps i haven't used in a while off of my devices and then you know that's starting to become built into operating systems. Modern Android is like, hey, you haven't used these apps for a while. I'm disabling them. And I think that's a great, great posture to have. But it's it's something I've done for years. And I think people should really consider. If you have an app that's auto-updating or mm -hmm. auto-starting and you're not using it, delete it. It's just a risk for you. Good advice. Um, let's take the same question and, and apply it to a different scenario. Uh, you've got somebody, they've just moved into a CISO role for a uh, you know, medium-sized organization. Let's say 500 to 1,000 people organization. Uh, they're new in the role. What's the first three things that they should be looking at? Well, I gotta be honest, I'm an application security person more mm -hmm. than uh, 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 an InfoSec person. So I don't think I'm going to have a fairly great answer for you that, um, you know, I could talk to you about equivalent question of if you moved into an application security role. Well, but, let's, uh, let's, 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 let's do that. 
Right. All right. So, so you're moving into application security. You, the first thing you should do is understand how you're managing your dependencies, right? That's a really important thing. You should make sure that you know if you're using unsafe languages, how are, what are your coding practices and how are you managing uh, sort of risk for using those unsafe languages? And what's your overall security posture and mitigation approaches? You know, how are you making sure you don't implement a file traversy and kind of front class started directory traversal vulnerability. Um, you know, so like, I think a lot is just to gain awareness of what you're doing and awareness of what people are doing. So it's not really that different than I assume what the infosec is. The first thing is just to understand the landscape and awareness and what the organization's practices are. I mean, I think long-term what you're gonna to wanna to do is get all those things buttoned down, make sure that you understand your dependencies, make sure that you're monitoring whether there's breaches in any of those dependencies so that you're not part of one of these, uh, you know, sort of uh, underscore JS kind of uh, vulnerabilities and they've happened in Python and other languages as well. Um, you know, and in the end, what you really want to get to is an architecture where you separate out the trusted, the, the controls in your application from the business functionality so that you can, and isolate that so that you're, you know, why is it that a bug in my JPEG parser lets uh, that code open a socket and read my file system, right? That's sort of the architectural flaw of ambient authority, the object capability people call it, um, where, you know, there's just authority in the environment. And what you really want to move to is separating out um, that, that, that authority so that only places that really need it. And I believe that the right place for that is that you need, a, you need to separate controls from functional logic so that bugs in functional logic can't escalate privilege. Makes a lot of sense. Hey, let me ask you this. Um, where do you go to kind of keep learning or stay ahead of the curve or be, be, you know stay aware of best practices related re, related to application security? I mean, you know, you're responsible for um, the technical development of of you know your company services. How do you kind of keep abreast of what 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 are some of the the latest trends or best practices? Uh, you know, I think in my case, I find, you know, I, I read a lot. So it's just reading is really important. And I find that a, a well-groomed set of followers uh, on Twitter is actually where most of the interesting infosec stuff happens. Like you hear about stuff days ahead of time, it's landing in the news. And you hear about a lot of stuff that nobody would ever report on because it's not interesting. So I think as a happenstance of history that finding good people to follow on Twitter is one of the best ways to hear about the latest trends and, and ideas and what's happening. I think that's some, some good advice as well. Well, Hey, Jonathan, um, I, I have enjoyed this conversation. Um, I think we could probably go down. Well, actually we could go back to what we started with and you, you could talk a little bit about how the, the government is kind of failing us in terms of, um, providing well, the, it, it, go ahead. But it's not just the government, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's also, well, I mean, it, it's also that people developing software aren't providing secure solutions. I suppose there's an incentive problem there, right? Like I said, in the end, the purchase of software can't evaluate the security of software. And the manufacturers have externalized their risk from 
the to software. Like if it doesn't cause physical harm or property damage, then software manufacturers don't bear the burden of the risk. If I install a piece of software from you and that ends up causing being due to a breach and I lose $100,000, your liability is nothing, right? Why is that? Yeah, I mean, um, you could argue that there's some reputational risk that obviously if, if, if you know, for example, that uh, wasn't Slack, uh, Zoom had the issue with the Zoom bombing, uh, right? And yep. and they took their business took a hit, and Microsoft Teams, uh, you know, conversely, arguably benefited from that. Uh, and so there is an incentive for for these these applications to to, I, I guess, ship secure products, but not to the degree where um, somebody's going to come back and hold them uh, liable. I, I, at least I haven't well, seen that. They only need to they only need to be as secure as the next guy, right? And nobody's terribly secure right now, so. The incentives we put in place around reputation, reputational incentives, aren't really driving the market forward fairly, fairly quick. Sorry, are not driving the market forward very quickly. And I think we we really need some other shifts to do that. You know, and we need and part of the problem is that that every that that purchasers in the end want to buy something they can just sprinkle on their compute infrastructure and make everything secure. And I think that's just never going to work because, you know, in reality, they probably need to change their operations. And we've seen that happen before, right? Before ransomware, nobody really was very good at backup and restore. And now a lot of people are because they saw that as an operational change they could do to mitigate the risk of ransomware. And I think with now other kinds of ransomware risks and other actors, Hopefully that will push people to make operational changes. But I, I think the one we need is compartmentalization um, to get rid of this sort of ambient authority, not just in applications, but across the network and the organization. Um, so I think part of the problem is we need, people don't want to change the way they do things, but they actually need to. We need to change the architectures of software. We need to change how we use software in organizations. We kind of need different software that lets us have different operational stances where we don't just free, freely share information with everybody across the organization. We need to make it easy to do so when it's important for the job, but we don't want to make that the default. Yeah, and one of the changes I'd like to see is just getting rid of passwords altogether. <laughs> I mean, it's just like- Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I've long been on a, on a mission to kill passwords. You know, our software doesn't use passwords. Um, we we based all, we use client-based keys for everything, but we found a way to make that very easy and mm -hmm. make make onboarding uh, actually the the next onboarding flow we're releasing in a, in a month or two uh, makes the onboarding flow almost exactly what you're used to of getting your temporary username and password and a host to log into it feels that has that same feel of that flow but managed to do it everything with key-based security instead of password-based security uh you know that sounds great. Hey, so you know, if if any of our listeners they wanted to get more information about Spider Oak, or if there's any events or you know news that they should be aware of, um, could you share that with us? Uh, yeah, I mean, generally, I mean, you should just go to our website. That's where you can find out the most information about us. Um, I think if you're interested in the kind of approach to security we have, you should really watch our product. We just sort of have a kind of early release of this product. Our our cross-clave collaboration product to the, the market. And you're gonna see a lot of new features and a lot of ease of use improvements uh, in that over the next year. And I'd really encourage people to, 
to see what we're doing and and uh, follow along and and tell us, you know, what would make the the product better for them. Excellent. Well, I'll put links uh, or, or a link to your website there uh, in the description for this podcast. Hey, Jonathan, it's been great talking with you. Um, I wish you and the, and the Spider Oak team a, a great second half of 2021, and uh, I will keep in touch with you. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.